Wings and beer, almost as good as podcasts. That's why Chicago Summer Wing Fest wants to give listeners a free t-shirt when they buy tickets with the offer code podcast. Available at wingfest.net. That's W-I-N-G-F-E-S-T dot net. Dynasty Podcast is proud to present PodClass, a series of conversations recorded at a college, university, or other academic or industry settings. My name is Haima Black. I host this podcast at DynastyPodcast.com. Today, talking with Michael Wing in the entertainment marketing class I teach at Columbia College, Chicago. Here's how that sounds. I'm a black here at Columbia College Entertainment Marketing in the class I teach here in the spring 2015 semester, and I'm here with Michael Wing of Autograph, Midnight Conspiracy, Public TV, all sorts of things. How are you doing? Doing good. Yeah, man. Um, it's nice to see you. I never get to see you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> so we're in my class here. It's my entertainment marketing class. This is the course. It's really kind of what it sounds like. We talk about marketing strategies. We talk about entertainment and promotion and kind of how those things all intersect. And these are all things that you have a lot of experience in. Kind of how did you get your start doing music and promotion work? So I started out owning an art gallery in Chicago about eight years ago. I opened that up. It actually flooded out, but while I was having the gallery, below the gallery I used to throw parties. And from there, I learned how to DJ from people that I would book for, for you know, coming through to DJ. And from there, I moved on to a loft that I had a screen printing studio in. And I had a bunch of roommates who were also DJs and producers, and I kind of learned from them. Fast forward a few years, I started a party at Angels and Kings where I met my other two bandmates in Midnight Conspiracy, Lewis and Graham. We formed Midnight Conspiracy. And from there, I've been pretty much doing music, you know, full time. Okay. So we just kind of like, you went through a lot of things. Yeah. And it, sounds, it sounds very easy yeah. the way that you just told it. It's not easy, right? It's not, no. What are some of the challenges you've had to overcome in like building all of your various brands? So... Oh, man, there's so many challenges <laughs> that I have to so overcome. Yeah, <laughs> definitely self like promoting the music that you put out and getting it heard by people was a big part of it for us. When we first were putting out tracks, it was a lot of just hitting blogs, trying to gain recognition both in Chicago and outside of Chicago. Booking tours and things like that were really difficult as well um, until you have an agent. So it was a lot of just groundwork of just sitting in front of a computer, emailing people for like five hours a day being like, hey, check out this track, check out my music, blog my music. Hey, can I come play your small bar in Cincinnati, blah, blah, blah. Just I think that's something people don't, like, maybe we don't hear enough is that like so much of doing anything you want to do, if you really want to do it long term, it feels like it's just email, right? Yeah, so much of it is just emailing and like just being on, even like on like Facebook and Twitter, hitting people up and being like, hey, I like your music, let's work on something together. Or hey, I like your party or I like what you're doing your brand let's like cross promote our brands together and things like that. It's not existing in a vacuum. Like, no. you know, I think again, that's something that people make the mistake of is if they're on Twitter, if they're on Facebook, it's just like, Hey, look what I'm doing. Look what I'm doing. Yeah. Come to my party, listen to my music, check out me. And you really have to engage beyond that. And there's definitely, like, you're going to glorify everything through like your social media presence and like, Hey, I'm in Mexico this week or Hey, I'm like in Thailand for two weeks or something like that. But even when I'm in those places, I'm, at a computer in my hotel room probably at least like three or four hours out of the day uh, which is probably less than I normally am but still like getting that groundwork in. So you started with throwing parties you started moving into DJing what were some of the kind of obstacles and opportunities that first came with that? Let's see so with the parties getting sponsorship was a big part of it 
it is really tough now to just throw a straight party without sponsorship and really profit off of it. So we were constantly looking for sponsors to get involved, be it Red Bull or a vodka company or something like that, that's going to come in and help pay for things and, you know, take things to like the next level for you. We did a party at a venue called Bottom Lounge in Chicago. It was like a full building party. And that was kind of the first big scale event we did that was an 18 plus kind of rave S type party. And on that, I lost a lot of money, not going to lie. <laughs> um, but we came back, we got a lot of great video from it, and we continued to go with it. And from there, I've done, um, at the time, I had a monthly party at Lincoln Hall that we were doing that was sold out every single time after that. And things kind of just build, you know, you build it up the brand, build up a street team like in the local sense of like promoting a party. So when you were starting to throw parties, you're talking about like creating content around that as well. And we talked about content in this class and how it's, you know, kind of like photos, videos, audio, all these kind of things. Why was that a, an important component to have? Because I think, again, it's easy to think if you do an event, the event is it, but you have to have more beyond that, right? Yeah, definitely hiring a good photographer. We had photo booths at most of our events so that, you know, people would, would have like our logo in the corner so that when people posted those on social media, they would see our logo in the corner and then having a really great video recap. So even if I'm going to lose money on an event, I want the event to be awesome so that for the next event, I have this video that was like, here's what we did this last event. It's awesome. It was a lot of fun. There were a thousand people there. Come to the next one. And also even to show booking agents, if we wanted to book from a larger booking agent, you know, they want to know what you've done in the past and what your parties are like. So being able to show them content from past events really helped in terms of like booking bigger talent that, you know, would draw out more people. Because this not enough to just like, you can't just go to a booking agency and be like, we had a thousand people at Lincoln Hall. And they're like, okay. Like, let's see, do you have anything that proves it? You're like, nope, we just did though. Just gotta believe me. So you're doing the parties, you're creating content. How do you build from that? Because I think it's easy to get stuck in a rut where you're just doing the same thing and you're putting out the same stuff. So how do you progress as you're kind of hitting the same things over and over again? Yeah, so part of, I think, doing the parties was we were trying to pursue our own music careers as well. So taking that branding and those events of ourselves doing those, those events and then being able to market those in other cities and kind of convincing other promoters in other cities that we have a brand that we can bring there. At that time, it was Midnight Conspiracy, and we had this live stage show that we created that was kind of like a pyramid that we were inside of, very Daft Punkish, and had some lasers and things like that that went along with it. So we were kind of pitching this idea of, here's an event that we were doing, here's like footage from it, it's really cool looking, like it'd be awesome if we came out and did this in your city. And a lot of people went for it, and we Right. This is our second year right after we put out a little bit of music that got some good hype and we uh, did a 35 city tour that we booked all on our own at that time. So let's talk about touring because, you know, to me, touring is something that can absolutely apply to a musician, but can also apply to like doing fashion work, doing film, doing like so many different types of concentrations. Touring, I think, is something that people see done, but it's really hard to figure out. Like, how do you go about setting up a tour, especially independently? Like, you know, if you get an agent that's one thing. But doing it independently, like what goes into setting up venues? How do you make sure you're not losing money? How do you route it? Yeah, so if you break even on your first tour, you're really happy. <laughs> we, we did our first tour. We had, so first, I guess, was just booking, getting a few dates locked in in major markets. So kind of the bigger cities like New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, Austin, Miami. Once you kind of lock in those bigger cities, you can build around those. So Let's say we have a show booked in Miami. Well, from there, we would approach Gainesville and Tallahassee and see what events are going on there and kind of just research into that city. Like, what is a good weekly party there? Where Who's the big promoters there? What are they doing? So we, we were booked in Miami. This is one example, I guess. And we were looking for other cities. So we 
found this party in Gainesville that was on a Tuesday, and we approached that promoter and be like, hey, we are in Miami that Saturday. We'd love to come up, like, you know, that Tuesday. And this was really early on, and he went forward, and he then hooked us up with another party that was on Thursday in Ga- no Gainesville to Tallahassee, which is another like college town. So he hooked us up with another show. So kind of just built off of these major market cities. And to this day, the guy that booked us in Gainesville is still a really good friend of mine. And, you know, keeping those connections, too, is really helpful. Those people will get move up as well. Like he was doing a small local party, and now he works for Groove Shark in Miami doing large-scale events. So having those connections and never losing connections is really important, too. Yeah, so looking at that, how do you network? I think that's a word that, especially as students, you hear the word networking so much, but what does that mean when you are an entertainer, a musician, a creative brand? It can mean a multitude of things. I think in person is always going to be the best way to meet people. So if there's ever someone that you want to be involved with, if you can make it out to their show personally, or if there's a brand you want to be associated with, if you can go to their offices and drop off like some information about yourself in person, that's always going to be the best way to do it. But beyond that, following up with emails, stalking people on Facebook and Twitter <laughs> um, is effective as well. So I think the biggest thing is that was following up and not losing that connection. So once you make that initial connection, constantly coming back with more content for them, explaining what you're up to and never falling behind in the sense that like, oh, you don't talk to them for six months, and then you hit them up for a favor six months later. And they're like, well, what have you done in the last six months? You haven't done anything for me. So yeah, I think that's something that's really important is that like I always like use the example of, you know, if I've had interns who've come on and the first thing they ask is like, can I go to Lollapalooza? Like the first question isn't like, what does your brand need help with? Or like, oh, you know, it looks like we could work on your website. It looks like we could work on your Instagram. They're just like, what can you do for me? So how do you pitch people the right way versus just asking like, basically, can I have money? Yeah. So see in Chicago, I've done, I've played Lollapalooza. I've played Spring Awakening. I've played North Coast, um, all these festivals. And with those promoters, I mean, obviously, I have a booking agent that got us on those shows, but even with those promoters, since it is my city, I've kept those relationships going. I see those people as regularly as possible. I go to their events and support them even when you know, I'm in town. Uh, React is like a pretty big company. If you're familiar with them in Chicago, they do Spring Awakening, North Coast, Somerset. There's a new festival they're starting up that I'll be playing. Um, they own the Mid, they own Concord. So, you know, I think with like with them, like we do a headline show at Concord and we prove that we can do over a thousand tickets at Concord means that, well, let's give them a good time slot at Spring Awakening. They're going to pull people out. Or when we played North Coast last year, we weren't on the main stage, but we were on like a side stage and we were able to overpack that stage to the point where a fire marshal had to come out and say like, well, we need to control this a little bit better. And that, that looks really good in terms of like what our draw is and, you know, connecting with those people to get them to come out then that company is going to look at you and be like, well, next time you come back, let's put you on a bigger stage. Let's give you more money. Let's, you know, do more with you. I always feel like it's better to like sell out a small room like Shuba's than it is to say like, oh my gosh, I'm playing the United Center, but you bring out 30 people. Yeah. Because one's a success even with smaller people and one's a total failure on a bigger scale. Yeah. So for instance, in Chicago, I started playing at Angels and Kings, which was like 150 person capacity. And we were doing pretty decent there. Then we started doing shows at Lincoln Hall, which I think is like five to 600 capacity. And now on the regular, we do Concord, which is, I think, 1,500 capacity. So it's definitely that building every time and increasing that fan base and your ability to sell those tickets, but not underselling a venue. So not where you can go rent Concord out and then bring out 200 people, and that's just going to look bad on you. So it's better to rent out a venue that 200 people are going to look good in versus 
you know, a bigger venue that might be the venue you want to get to play, but, you know, sell out a smaller room first. So having done this as long as you've done this and, and having worked in like nightlife, especially nightlife is a place that's just like littered with like enormous egos and, and a lot of like, especially for people who are new, a lot of really destructive behavior. What behaviors should people stay away from if they want to be able to like build a career in the arts, if they want to have longevity? So one thing that you can get pulled into touring is drinking excessively on tour and being that person who is belligerent you know, at multiple venues, it's going to come back to you. So I would say being respectful of all the venues you play at is, you know, a big deal, especially when you're not the person, like at this point, I'm not the person booking our shows, but when we get there, I'm still meeting the main promoter and the manager of that bar. And it's up to them if they're going to bring us back. So not only is it going to be like based on how many tickets sell for that show, but you know, if they like you, they're going to want you back a lot more. And if you were the person that came there and peed in a bucket or something and, they're not going to want you back, you know? <laughs> As if there's, if you take away one thing from this class, yeah. <laughs> don't pee in a bucket. Yeah. <laughs> so how have you seen kind of the approach to digital change, even as long as you've been doing this as well? Because now social media, there's always new things, but like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram are pretty established. So when we started out, Facebook was the biggest, you know, social, it still is the biggest social networking site, but it was like the one that everyone was on and I think we got really lucky where we were kind of came in right as Facebook events the way they were structured was really easy to kind of get the word out there to people now I don't see that like setting up a Facebook event isn't going to get people to come out sending out 10,000 invites isn't going to get people to come out so it's really interacting with people more now so I think more personal sites like Twitter Instagram and Snapchat things like that can even be used as a promotional tool to get the word out there about what you're doing looking at the different kind of projects you've done. So you were in a group called Midnight Conspiracy. It was a lot heavier. It was a lot like hypier. It was, it was kind of when dubstep and EDM really broke through. And then you like took a sharp left turn with this new group autograph, which is a lot more mellow, a lot more like kind of tropical house, or maybe it's not, that's not how you describe it. But, but you, you were at the forefront of something that was working really well with this big wave that everyone was into, and then you left it abruptly to do something completely different. What, what was the thinking behind that? So with Midnight Conspiracy, we had felt we had kind of peaked out. We were touring pretty regularly. That style of music, I guess a big part of it for me was I the shows we were playing were not the shows I wanted to be at anymore. The crowds weren't people I really connected with as much anymore. I really wanted to do something that just felt different for us, and that's where we started Autograph, which is way chiller. It's more like indie sounding, uh, like indie house sounding. But it was a tough decision to like decide where, you know, you're doing something that's going so well and this is what you're doing for a living. And then to just take a step back and be like, we want to reevaluate what we're doing. But we think by doing this, it's going to like changing our brand is going to like propel us forward. And now my group autograph that I only started about a year and a half ago has signed to the biggest dance music agency in the world, CAA, which is amazing. And we're pulling way more money per show. We're getting commissioned remixes that are really great pay as well. So it's definitely the sound that we created with that has paid off, you know, a year and a half later. But there was a year there where we were kind of just building up this new brand. Well, and I think that's really like kind of a, a brave thing that not a lot of people would do. A lot of people would be like, well, this is where the easy money is. And this is like, I can just play Spring Awakening every year. I can just play like these same venues in the country. And just keep writing that out as long as you could have until the money went away and you went a totally different route. 
what advice would you have for anyone in the room, you know, and we have a mix of concentrations here. It's not just music students, but everybody in here loves music. I mean, music is really a universal thing, but everyone in here wants to pursue something creative. What advice would you give to anybody who's like college age and starting out and wants to go do their own thing? So don't give up. I am 30 now and I started, I, I, let's see, I came back to Chicago when I was 21 and I attempted to open an art gallery and that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to own an art gallery at the time and it failed. I then started a screen printing company. I then started a clothing company. I started a marketing company that I worked with Burger King for and just doing so many different things, but a lot of them failed or fizzled away, but to never stop doing what you are passionate about, I think would be the biggest thing and don't give up. Too often people put in a year's worth of work and when it's not working out the way they expected, they give up on it and you know they, they blame something else, but really it's taking a step back. If it's not working out, take a step back and reevaluate, but don't ever give up You know what you're trying to do. Maybe you have to look at it in a different way. Yeah, uh, and I think I'd say that's the biggest thing is not giving up. <laughs> it's easy, I think, to be frustrated. I mean, I see that a lot like, like I've been frustrated, you've been frustrated, and I know that for all of us it's easy to kind of be like, man, like, am I doing the right thing? This isn't happening fast enough. You know, and it's important to not compare yourself to others as well, right? Because everyone's going to move at a different... I think there's a great quote by Einstein that was, I didn't fail, I just showed a thousand ways, I just proved a thousand ways it didn't work. With every failure, you're learning something, you're not giving up. Now, what advantages, you know, does everyone, everyone in this room have or anybody listening you know, who's, who's younger, who's kind of like at the beginning of their journey. Because to me, like when I look at the social tools, for example, that this generation that you guys all have, there's so much opportunity. But what, what advantages, like if we were like 19 right now, what would it be like, oh my gosh, we have all of this at our fingertips? Yeah, there's, I mean, I'm probably not even in touch as much as, you know, I was back then with what's going on in social media. I just signed up for Snapchat literally like a week ago after my manager was like, you guys need to get on this. After I've been badgering, <laughs> yeah. I've been badgering Michael too. And I'm like, Snapchat and, is so great. You are and I was just like, it. oh, it's so much like work to like do this. And who's it really reaching? And I was like, I don't want to do this. And then eventually they're like, well, it's a great way for people to interact with you. They can send you more private messages. They can communicate with you. They can, you know, what I get sent most on Snapchat is people sending me like a picture of their computer screen while they're, they're working on music being like, hey, here I am working on music. And they send it to me like, what do you think of it? And I always try to respond now and be like, hey, awesome. Or like, if I do have any real input, you know, I'll tell them. And I mean, that's to me one of the other advantages that exists right now is like, you can really reach anybody. Like nobody's like maybe Beyonce, you know, like we don't have Beyonce's phone number, like because we both failed in life. But like, you can really reach out to people more. And that's, there's so many ways like Snapchat and so many other ways. And I think that just always having that personal connection with people is really important now. There's always going to be tastemakers in every city and kind of getting in with those people. Even when I say tastemakers, it could be just someone who's like a popular student at a college who is kind of paving the way for a certain style of music. And if that person gravitates towards what you're doing and you make that personal connection with them, they're going to take your brand and expose it to all their friends. And, you know, they're going to want to help promote you in that sense. Yeah, I mean, why is word of mouth important and what can you really accomplish with it? Yeah, I would say, you know, you can spend thousands of dollars on Facebook ads, but having someone that's a peer tell someone to check you out is going to be way more valuable than me being like, here's an ad, check out my music on, you know, Beatport or something like that. It's not nearly as effective as someone telling someone else, hey, check out these guys, they're awesome. So what are you looking at doing next? Because, you know, and I mean, you and I have known each other so long. It's like we're working on streaming media projects together. We have a party bus that we're going to do some like mobile projects with digital content 
what else are you looking forward to? Because I know you always have so much in the works. Yeah, so what he was saying, so we do a live stream on the weekends with a public hotel, which is really awesome. And for me, it's also a great way to meet DJs in Chicago that are doing something. We get to book DJs and they come out and play. And they're people that I probably wouldn't have met a lot of the times otherwise. And to further expand on that, I did just buy a party bus that I'm having completely torn out on the inside. It's like a going to have a DJ booth inside of it. We're going to drive it around and pick people up and have DJs on it. And we're going to have it like at Spring Awakening and North Coast and Electric Forest. And, a bunch and, of and live broadcast. And live broadcast. We should, we should mention that. We're going to so like there's have DJs. cameras in it. There's DJs in it. The idea is like we'll go somewhere and we can pick people up. And for instance, if someone's playing at a major festival after their set, we could be like, hey, come back here, jump on this bus with a bunch of your friends, have a drink, play some music, and we're going to live stream it. So that's really where we're going for the summer. Yeah, it's going to be a fun summer. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be fun. So, you know, final question before we'd open it up to some students. It's like, I know firsthand that it's like, it's so easy to get discouraged. It's so easy to get frustrated. It's so re- easy to want to give up. What advice would you give to anyone in this room who, who's been there, who's been like, this is not going anywhere. Why is it important to keep going? Because you're going to find something that does resonate with people. And be it whatever you're doing, music, fashion, just even, you know, any, any whatever your interests are, there's going to be a lot of downs and you're going to learn from those. And you're going to find out what people want, but still stay true to what you believe in. Cause I think once you kind of do a sellout thing where you no longer believe in what you're doing, you're going to lose the passion for it. So keeping that passion as well is really important. And people can really tell when you've lost the passion. People can absolutely sense when something is not totally random example, guardians of the galaxy. We were talking about the Marvel movies. Like I watched guardians of the galaxy and you can tell Chris Pratt is having so much fun on that screen. And I'm sure he's making a ton of money, but he's not doing that for a paycheck. He would probably do that movie, well, not for free, but let's open it up. We have a full class here. This is uh, Mike Wagner, one of Hymas students, and um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Michael, you obviously have an insane amount of things going on, but kind of what I'm wondering is I'm, I feel like it's kind of divided into two parts. You've got the part where you're actually creating content, creating your music, you know, developing your craft, so to speak, and then the part making people actually care about it. So what's the breakdown? How do you balance those two things? It, it is tough. I would say like an average day for me is I, I wake up, we do a kind of a group call with everyone who's on our team. It's, it's our managers and the other, I have two other members in Autograph. And we kind of plan out our day in the morning and what we're trying to accomplish. So you know, every day our manager will kind of propose to us, here are some remix requests. Here are some shows that are trying to get booked right now by your agents. And we kind of take all that in and then three of us will jump on a call and kind of discuss, you know, well, let's work on this today. Let's say we have a remix. Let's kind of listen to this and kind of lay out like the basic structure for this song so we can send it in as a sample for the label to check out, you know, take a step back from there and then jump online and start doing a lot of like emailing and a lot of like trying to connect with brands. Luckily at this point, I'm not doing as much of that anymore because I have a wonderful manager, a wonderful publicist and a wonderful booking agent. So I'm not doing as much of that stuff on my own anymore. But even just the time to talk with them, you know, jumping on phone calls with with those three entities of our, I don't know. Yeah, it is time consuming. I guess the biggest thing I can say is that it's really just waking up and putting in 10 hours a day. Sometimes you have to wake up before noon. I mean, it's, um, and you know, kind of a good follow-up on that is like, you you have this whole team now. You have a professional team, a manager, a touring agent. So I have a manager, a publicist, and a booking agent. So for anybody in this room who's starting out, who's a freshman, sophomore, junior, who maybe they're not at the point in their career yet where they're going to land the professional team, how can they operate as their own manager, as their own publicist, you know? Because I'm a big believer, and I know you are too, 
of like, don't wait. You just got to start right now. You don't wait for someone to give you permission or money or come work for you. Like you start right now. How do you do that when you don't have the team? Yeah, when we started out, we didn't have any of those things with Autograph. And we turned down management opportunities for a good amount of time for about the first like nine months or so we were doing the project. So many people were coming at us being like, hey, I want to manage your group, blah, blah, blah. And I think it's really trying to understand what they can bring to the table for you. Maybe at the time it sounds great because they're like, well, I can get you shows in these cities and I can do this and that. But, you know, what are their bigger long-term connections? Like, are they going to be able to have connections with SFX or some of the larger companies out there? And I think just doing as much as you can on your own until you're at the point where you can't reach out to those people is really important. So with blogs, for instance, I can personally email all the blogs myself. There are a lot of college students that run these blogs and you know they're happy to like talk to you but when I try to reach out to someone like SFX they're gonna not want to talk to me as much because you know they have to deal with like dead mouse and these larger acts that you know on a daily basis they don't care as much about me so that's where having a manager that can step in and do those things but I think it's building it to the point where you no longer can do anything on your own yeah I think that's that's a really great way to put it what does your publicist do so we're with, it's called Get In PRs, our publicist. Her name is Eva. She's amazing. So she does both for shoot, show press and for when we do release press. We just put out our first original track. It's not available for download yet, but it's streaming, and it was premiered in Billboard. So she set that up for us. We just had a full spread in DJ Mag in the print magazine, and she set that up for us. So she has a lot of connections with magazines and publications that are a lot bigger than we would have the ability to step out and like reach out to those being the two major ones in the last month. But then also, when we have a show, she's reaching out to the local newspapers in those cities and saying, hey, these guys are coming through. Do you want to do an interview? Do you want to do a write-up about them? It's important to have your publicist be connected. Yeah, having a connected publicist is going to be really important. But I think for yourself, there's a lot you can do. There is a blog called This Song is Sick that's really helped us out a lot. There's a blog, Ear Milk and there's so many of them, Dancing Astronaut, all these were people that we had personally met just being out and about and they've helped us out. And you know, some of those will actually get you more plays than a billboard premiere. I would say like those three blogs each gave us more plays than billboard did through the premiere. Yeah. It's really interesting. I hear that from a lot of artists that like there's certain like enormous publications that it's a really good look if you got a feature on them, but that's not even necessarily where your audience is. It might be a blog that's comparably smaller, but people are more passionate about it. What was your biggest success and failure other than getting your laptop stolen? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see, I'll start with the failures that I had. I think the biggest failure for me was when I had opened up this art gallery and that's really what I wanted to do at the time and this was like eight years ago or whatever and the whole thing flooded and I lost probably $20,000 worth of equipment and stuff in there, including computers and everything. And I had taken out a huge loan at the time to pay for all this stuff and I had to figure out a way to get that back. I feel like almost anybody would have been like, I'm done like, that done was That was terrible and it was very crippling for me at the time. I think I learned a lot from it and I had to kind of go through a bankruptcy type thing at the time because I owed so much money on all those assets. I thought I wasn't going to do anything after that. And then I picked myself back up and I reopened up my screen printing company in a loft and went back at it. See, biggest success, man, there's so many amazing things I've got a chance to do. I think each year there's bigger and bigger things that we've accomplished. So when I first started the group, the first big party that we sold out for me was a huge success. And then my first tour that we booked for me was a huge success. And then the first festivals we played were a huge success. This year, I think 
the biggest successes. I'm currently signing with a label and I'm really excited to work with them. They represent a lot of artists that I really respect. You know, I'm excited to sign that with them and put out our EP with them. Beyond that, I'm really excited to play a bunch of the festivals this year that were on like Electric Forest and Mambi and um, Sonata in California Counterpoint. So I think those are all going to be really fun and they really expand your brand to a new audience because there's people that are going to be at that festival regardless. So you've been independent this whole time before you got your current label deal? So with my old group, Midnight Conspiracy, I was signed to Ultra Records. We put out a an album with them. We haven't put anything else out as Midnight Conspiracy since then. We started Autograph about a year and a half ago now. We were doing straight remixes, a lot of bootlegs, just putting them out on SoundCloud and hoping to get noticed through those. We have only put out one original as Autograph so far, and you can't even buy it yet. It's only streaming right now. So we are really excited to out original music everything else has been remixes up to this point for autograph did you have the, like the whole musical background prior to becoming a dj or when did that come in so i did play in bands when i was in like high school and things like that like rock and metal bands definitely took a step back from that it was never my intention I, I wanted to do something more in the visual arts so i had a gallery and a screen printing studio but i met amazing people through the parties we were doing there and learned how to dj through them so it wasn't until later in life that i actually learned how to dj and do all that kind of stuff and then with midnight conspiracy i met amazing producers and people who made amazing music and learned from them. So it wasn't my initial intention to ever get into music. It was I wanted to do something more in the visual arts. But I, yeah, I'm really happy doing this now. I love it. Yeah, you're like, you do the set design. Yeah, so we definitely have a very DIY approach to both of our groups where we did make our live setups for them ourselves in our garages and We've even done work for other groups as well. We just finished up for this group, Claptone. We made some these acrylic masks for them that light up and react to music. And we're doing some of that same stuff for our own sets now and have you know done a lot of stuff for other groups as well. You never told me there were light-up masks. Why yes. do we not have, why are we not <laughs> yeah. doing this in light-up masks? Did you run into any weaknesses when you were marketing yourself and how did you kind of overcome those? I was very much an introverted person when I started doing this. And I'm still a pretty introverted person. I'm not ever really the life of a party type person. And I think that was something that was very difficult because a lot of it is networking in person and getting to know people in person. So I had to overcome that for myself and learn to put myself out there a little bit more, introduce myself to people. And that was, being able to do that, you know, took a lot for me in learning over the years to become that person that was able to go out there and go up to a stranger and introduce myself and explain what I'm doing and try to make those connections. Yeah, I mean, I think that's really important for, again, for anyone in this room, anyone listening. It's like, I know that there are those of us who are shy. I get shy, Michael gets shy, and it's like, sometimes, yeah, you, like if you want to make something happen, you just have to be that person that goes and does it anyway because it, it's so much easier to stay home and watch like House of Cards or Daredevil on Netflix and not go. I always bring that up in my classes, but it's it's true. Like, it's easy to stay in and not go do those things, and that's when your momentum starts to slow. Where do you start in, yeah, becoming like an actual like club DJ? It's tough. I think knowing the craft, of course, is going to be the first thing, like practice and know the craft of doing it and get good at it. I didn't play any shows out probably for the first like year and a half or so that I got into DJing. I, I was really lucky that I had all roommates who were DJing. Two of them were doing it full time at the time at club. So we had all the equipment in our apartment and I had the chance to practice on it back then. So getting good at the craft, I would say, is the first thing. And then in terms of actually getting out there and doing gigs, it's going to be sp- like finding where you want to play, I think, and going to those events and meeting everyone at those events is going to get you the actual gig. You know, if you want to play at a certain party, 
go support that party, you know, for a couple weeks and meet the people. And don't just go there and get drunk and party, but really try to go there and meet the people that are in charge, meet the other DJs that are playing there and make those connections. And eventually, you know, if they see your passion for that style of music and for the party that they're throwing, they're going to want to book you. So, you know, kind of wrapping it up, like, what do you think are your key takeaways? I'm hearing a lot of like networking, a lot of like putting yourself out there, a lot of never giving up. But what would you say are like really the key those are, yeah. <laughs> those are the key things that never, never giving up and putting yourself out there and making those connections with people. And definitely the not giving up, I would say, is the most important thing because I have failed at a lot of things and succeeded at a lot of things over you know, the last eight years of doing this. Awesome, man. Uh, Michael Wing, someone I never get to spend any time with. Uh, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's awesome. It's like I've known you personally, not just professionally, but for a long time now very good friend and i've gotten to see like a lot of the the triumphs and kind of setbacks you're talking about but you are somebody who's never given up you're somebody who's always been building and adapting and evolving i think that's awesome thank you so much for coming to speak today man yeah, really thanks for having me this has been the dynasty podcast pod class series thanks to michael wing for being on the show this week you can find more dynasty podcasts at dynastypodcast.com for the dynamic dynasty my name is Haima black dynasty descend <laughs>